Welcome to my Teacher Friends podcast. My name is John Peschel, and as I enter my 21st year of teaching, I wanted to create a podcast to share stories, teaching tips, and inspiration. Each week, I'll be joined by one of my smart, talented, passionate teacher friends for a conversation about all things education. Join us, because there's no job as challenging or as rewarding as being a teacher. Today, I am joined by my good friend, John, who is a teacher and fellow forensics coach. So let's get started with a little bit about you. Can you share a little bit about your educational history, what other professional jobs you've had, what's led you to where you are today? Well, I grew up in a small town and went to a very small high school. I went on to the University of Wisconsin-Madison and I did my graduate studies there where I got a master's degree in preventive medicine and epidemiology, which led to my first job, which was working for the Madison AIDS Support Network. So now, you didn't start as a teacher? I did not. Okay. Well, I kind of did. Kind of You did. see, <laughs> it was uh, it's now known as the AIDS Network, and my position there was as a public health outreach educator. So there was a teaching component built into that job. My responsibilities were to do outreach, to go into the community and to hit up people with information about HIV transmission and how to prevent it. Part of that job was working with high school peer educators. So I got to work with teenage volunteers and train them on how to talk to other teenagers about HIV and what to do about it. So what years was this? Just to kind of put it in perspective of... This would have been the early 1990s. Okay. okay. So this is when there was still a lot of prejudice and stigma and tons of misconceptions about HIV and the AIDS right. epidemic. Very different time than where we're at now, right? Yes. So there was a, there was a need even more of a need, if if I can say that. Absolutely. Right? For that clarification, you know, for, for the myths and the facts. Oh, yes. There was uh, a lot of controversy still at the time about even discussing it in schools or in, right. in polite company. Right. And so how did the teaching part of your job, I mean, is that kind of what drew you to become a public school teacher was because of your love for for that part of your job? Yes, and also the working with the high school students. I became very adept at recruiting high school students because I wasn't in the schools, but I would have to have connections within the schools and form those relationships and get students to come to a community agency and volunteer find out what they were in for, and then go through with um, an extensive training that I put them through. And I facilitated getting them back out into schools to do formal presentations and also how to go and do informal talks about this to, to spread the word. But it was in working with that group of teenagers and the education I was doing in addition to this that I decided, hey, I could do this full time. Yeah. And have a little more job security because it was a nonprofit. I didn't know how long it was going to be around. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I remember thinking at the time I was doing it that 
this is like the perfect job for me. Mm-hmm. I got to savor this while it lasts because I knew it wouldn't last forever. Right. But that led me directly into being a high school teacher. So did you have to go back to school, take additional classes, student teach, or did some of that job experience lead you to your degree? I took classes as I could while I was working full-time at the AIDS Network, taking night classes. or My job was conveniently very flexible, so I took classes around it in the day. And I did have to take – it was sort of a leave, but they let me go very part-time while I did my student teaching. So I'd student teach during the day and then right from school go over to the office and take care of my responsibilities there, still managing the teen group. Uh, at the same time. And then after I got my teaching license, they also allowed me the flexibility that I was substitute teaching occasionally while I was still working full-time at the AIDS Network. Um, And they knew what I was doing. They knew that I was looking for a job in, in teaching. But again, they were super flexible and very happy to have me able to do that and making more inroads for them in the schools. Right. And... Then eventually I landed a teaching job. Yeah. So you mentioned subbing. Yes. Uh, we don't need to talk about subbing, but if you have any memorable subbing moments, I would love to hear it. I subbed for a semester before um, I got my first contract, and um, some of those experiences were some of the hardest days I had. So I'm just curious if you have any, any I don't know if horror stories is the right word, or any successes, or any memorable subbing days. One subbing day I can remember is I went in and the instructions that the teacher left for me were have a conversation with your with my students about governments. <laughs> and and then she wrote I I know you're really good at this. And Well, thanks for the pat on the back. Yeah. But and that was it and I was supposed to figure out what to do with that and I I did something oh. but geez, thanks. High school high school level? It, this was middle school. Middle school. Yes. Oh my goodness. Okay. Because I subbed every level. Do you remember at all how what you even said? Do you remember? Like, no, <laughs> I don't. But I know that I probably didn't sit and have a conversation about government with those students. I think I just found some other teacher tricks I had yeah. up my sleeve, and yeah. we did other activities. Yeah. Um, one other thing that is interesting about subbing is yeah. one day I substituted for middle school band teacher and when i went in there the kids saw that there was a substitute and decided that they were going to have a study hall but i had been a band kid in high school and middle school so i said no get out your instruments what have you been working on i want you to play something and so they all got out their instruments and whatever music they had at the time and i knew how to conduct so i led them through that and it was fun it was it was great And that day I forgot to turn my key in at the end of my subbing job. I went back the next day to return the key, and they asked me on the spot if I would come and be the band teacher because they were so desperate to have one, and they had seen that I had led led the students in the band that day. I said, thank you, but no. (laughs) I am not a band teacher. (laughs) I cannot – I can do a substitute band teacher, but I am not going to – teach kids music and i don't know how to play all the instruments i can stand there and wave the baton in time right 
Right. You know, and I can follow the music, but I cannot teach wow. students how to play instruments. So wow. thanks, but yeah. thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm honored, but. Yeah. So let's fast forward just a little bit and <laughs> move on to like that first year of teaching, right? Mm. Um, do you remember who you leaned on in that first year of teaching to get you through? Because the first year is so tough for every new teacher. Yeah. I leaned on my team. I was very fortunate, and this is back in the late 90s, very fortunate that the high school I was at, and I teach high school biology, we had a biology team. It was a large high school. There were about six biology teachers, and they had established a routine of meeting every week, twice a week, before school, and we just discussed what we were going to do and why we were going to do it. And I don't know how I would have figured anything out if that wasn't already in place. So I think I had it pretty easy compared to the way some teachers are just thrown into a classroom and told have at it. I think those planning conversations are so helpful, right? Absolutely. Just to help that first year teacher kind of like get through what they're going to do during the day. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I leaned on my team. I. Mm-hmm was also fortunate one of them was my supervising teacher when I was a okay. student teacher yeah so that helped a lot as well yeah. yeah excellent well we're gonna move on to our next section which is playing a little game if you're up for it mm-hmm. um so I tell the story that as a kid I remember feeling panicked um during third grade multiplication timed tests I don't know if you had to do these I loved had, those did you okay I so, had to do them <laughs> I made it a competition with my friends okay it scared me to death. So I'm going to flip it a little bit and, and you'll probably love this because you're comfortable with time tests, but we're going to do, um, 60 seconds to answer as many questions as you can. Um, I'll time it. You can, um, go really fast and do a quick answer. If you want to elaborate, you can do that too. Um, but we'll just see what we can get done in 60 seconds. Does that sound okay? Sounds good to all me. All right. And you don't have these questions in front of you, so this will all be all be new to you. Great. All right. Here we go. Favorite month of the school year? March. Mm-hmm. Favorite unit or topic to teach? Evolution. Favorite thing to do in the summer that you don't do during the school year? Uh, geocaching. First name of a student that made a huge impact on you? Uh, too many to okay. name. Pass. <laughs> um, first name of a colleague that had a positive impact on you? Rita. Last name of a teacher that had a positive impact on you as a child? Mrs. Bressler. School lunch, always, sometimes, or never? Never. Teacher's lounge, always, sometimes, or never? Mostly never. Going into school on the weekends, always, sometimes, or never? Sometimes. Favorite Doctor Who doctor? (laughs) Peter Capaldi. You know me well. (laughs) I had to throw that last one in there. Uh, It means nothing to me, unfortunately, John. I have no idea what, what that answer means, but I'm glad that... Those fellow Doctor Who fans will will be able to connect with you over over your choice. All right. <laughs> um, so now we're going to talk a little bit about teaching tips. So um, this is a segment where each of us will share one teaching tip with the listeners to try. 
Um, so what is your teaching tip, something that has worked for you or made your classroom environment better? My favorite thing to do to make my classroom better is to greet each and every student each and every day. I will go around the room one at a time and say, good morning, Bob. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Joe. And I teach my students that it is customary and courteous and respectful to return the greeting. Okay. If I say, good morning, Bob, Bob says, good morning, or hello, or top of the morning to you, or however they want to return a respectful greeting. And at first, these are ninth graders, they think this is ridiculous. And they asked, are you going to do this every day? And I say, yes, yes, I am. And I do. And by the second week, they expect it. Mm. If we have a strange day where the schedule is mixed up or running way behind, if for some reason I don't do it, they say, aren't you going to greet us? What is this? Where's the good mornings? So I do it every day and they, they come to appreciate it. For some kids... That might be the only direct thing a teacher says to them, or that might be their only time during the day that they say something directly to a teacher. Because it's so easy to get lost in a, in a huge high school like ours. So about how many students do you have, just to put it in perspective? I have 28 students per class, and I have five classes. Okay. okay. So that's a lot of names. Any tricks for remembering all of those names? I know some teachers... Well, this is one of them, is uh, by saying them every yeah, day. right, right. And I do have a seating chart that I make them uh, adhere to, and I am able with their technology to print out a seating chart with their name and a picture of them. But just the repetition every day. I always joke that when I change up the seating chart, now I don't know your name anymore, and i got to learn them again. Right. And that's partially true. But <laughs> but no, I get to know them that way. And yeah, I do have to rely on that for the first week or two weeks. But that is how I remember their names yeah. going forward. Yeah, what do you think are the other benefits to that? The greeting, you know, like, I don't know. Well, like I said, it makes a, a personal connection mm -hmm. to them. It might be the only time during the day someone says their name. Yeah. Um, because there are students who don't speak to me, and I wouldn't know what their voice is unless they, we had this interaction once during the day. Right. I want them all to know that I see them, that I know that they're in my room, that you know I acknowledge their existence, at least. Yeah. Even if they don't say anything else the rest of the day. Yeah. And that, like you said, that could be the only positive experience they have in a day. I hope it's not. Hope, but, hopefully not, but yeah. right. But... Um, I think that's a great tip. Um, saying names. I know sometimes I need to practice names. I know that's Absolutely. something that I've had to do um, to make sure that I, I can say it smoothly and correctly. Um, when I started in a new school, I remember um, asking for a previous year's yearbook. Mm. Now, this is at the mm. elementary level, so it's a little bit different, but it helped me kind of get to know yeah. some of the faces and names of of teachers and other people in the building, as well as kind of getting to know the school community. Um, and, and that was helpful for me to kind of get a jump up on learning all the, the names of the people that I would encounter each day. I do have a yearbook from every year do you? I've taught. Yes. Okay. However, teaching ninth graders, 
I can't use it for that same purpose because I'd need to go get one from the middle school. Okay, yeah, so that won't work in that regard. I do use it to look up new staff people or recently hired and see who they are if I'm looking for someone. Or I do teach a class of uh, juniors and seniors. I can check them out there. Okay. But these days, with Infinite Campus, there are pictures in there anyway, so I can always look at that, too. Yeah. Um, So my teaching tip kind of goes along with that. Um, I think it's so important to try to bring a little bit of fun into our classrooms, right? Um, This time of year, we often think and talk about forming connections and getting to know kids and how important that is. But I know that there's times of the year where I'm so focused on delivering curriculum, and getting through material, and I forget about um, making it fun for kids, too. Um, mm-hmm. So some strategies that I've used just to bring just a little bit of fun that don't really interfere um, don't interfere with learning, but hopefully get kids excited about being in the space is um, just kind of little random surprises um, or little special days that I'll plan a day in advance where... Um, you know, bring a hat or bring sunglasses to right. class tomorrow, and it's it's hat day. Or um, when kids walk in, give them all a piece of gum, and, you know, it's gum day. Um, I know some of the primary kids love to have little, like, karaoke um, songs at the end where they'll put something up on the screen mm-hmm. and they'll all sing along, or just a random dance break. That doesn't really fit my personality, but I know that for some teachers that totally works and they just have that a random... awesome. I'm going to have a dance yeah. day. You should totally have a dance break. At like, you know, 20 minutes into your class, you should just put on some music and have a little dance break. Heck so. yeah. Make a little flash mob. <laughs> there you go. So that's that's my teaching uh, teaching tip is to try to bring a little bit of fun into the room um, in a random way. Um, well, that fits me perfectly. Yes. And now it's time for a commercial break. You probably know by now that Rodan and Fields is the number one skincare brand in the United States. With a 60-day empty bottle, money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. For me, the Reverse Regimen, Lash Boost, and Active Hydration Serum has completely changed my skin. Yours can too. It starts by reaching out. I can be found on Facebook at John Peschel, that's J-O-H-N-P-E-S-C-H-L, or by email at myteacherfriendspodcast at gmail.com. Mention this podcast when you contact me and receive a special gift. Yes, a free gift just for reaching out and starting the conversation. Rodan and Fields, life-changing skincare. This is Connor. Here are some jokes for all the teachers out there. Why did this student eat his homework? Because his teacher said it was a piece of cake. Student, would you punish me for something I didn't do? Teacher, of course not. Student, good, because I didn't do my homework. What did one math book say to the other? Don't bother me. I've got my own problems. And now, back to the podcast. My teacher friends. Well, they're not my teacher friends, but that's the name of the show. Well, now um, we are back 
And now is your chance, John, to talk about something that's on your mind and in your heart when it comes to education. This is our educational deep dive. So what would you like to talk about that's on your mind and in your heart? As I start this school year, what's on my mind a lot is inquiry-based learning, also called model-based inquiry. It's got a lot of other names. It's the idea that science teaching in particular needs to change, that it has traditionally been the teacher tells the students about some science vocabulary or about a science topic, tells them this is the way it is. This is the way the universe works. And then reinforces that by having them watch a video, do a worksheet, do an activity, do a well-planned out lab that might be really fun, but it confirms what I've already told them. And then when we're done with all of that, we have a test and they can tell me what I already told them that we already knew. Right. That totally sounds That's, like how I started teaching, right? That's what exactly. we did. We stood up, yep. we presented, yep. we did something to reinforce that learning, and then we tested knowledge. And exactly. what I'm hearing you say is you're flipping that a little bit. Yes, inquiry-based learning is the students figured out. So what the teacher does is presents a question or a phenomenon or some strange thing that the students have to explain. And that's it. I'll say, so why does this insect seem to be doing this behavior? And kids will say, I don't know. You didn't teach me. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You tell us. You're the teacher. Right. But I'll say, well, that's not how scientists work. Scientists will observe something in the world and want to know why, for whatever reason. They want to know why this thing is doing this. And so what a scientist will do is continue to make observations and gather evidence. So I'll have students then gather evidence to answer my question or explain this phenomenon. And the evidence that they gather can be from watching a video, from doing some reading, from doing some of their own research, or from doing experiments. And the experiments can either be ones that I've set up that are prescribed, or the students themselves design uh, an experiment decide what the variables are going to be to test this, their, their hypothesis, mm -hmm. and carry it out. Along the way, I'll introduce science vocabulary so that they can become a little literate and know how to gather evidence in a little more concise way. Mm -hmm. And they do this in groups, so I'll have them in small groups. They'll brainstorm ideas, they'll brainstorm how they're going to gather their evidence. They'll brainstorm what variables they want to test or what aspects of the situation they want to explore further. I'll check in with them. I go around and check in with the groups to make sure they're on task, of course, but also that they're getting somewhere. The smaller groups will report out to the whole class and then the whole class. I always tell them this is not this is the part where you can copy. Mm. If someone else has a better idea than you, I want you to consider it, see how that fits with your ideas. And if you like that idea better, go ahead and run with it. Yeah. You, fi you figure it out. But, and in the end, if the process works the way it's supposed to, they will have arrived at an answer. And sometimes it's 
creating a model, a mental model, that explains the phenomenon or answers the question. And more often than not, if there is a concrete correct answer, they'll have gotten it. Sometimes they're a little more abstract things where there could be multiple answers or it's really just an opinion sort of thing, but they will have reached the answer. And then the evaluation is not on, you know, did you get the correct answer? The evaluation is on how did you engage with this process? You know, what did you contribute? Certainly we have to expect them to know some content in some of that vocabulary, but it's more about did you write down your evidence? Did you synthesize that evidence in order to come up with this this answer? How long are like the cycles that you're going through of inquiry? Like how long would one question take? Or does it vary it dramatically? V- it varies, but two weeks to four weeks okay. cycles, yeah. And this is, I've, I've done this now for a couple of years, but this is the first year that... My colleagues and I are doing it wall-to-wall, so they say, from the beginning of the school year to the end. I have found that if you introduce this idea or this this method of teaching things second semester after doing it the old way first semester, then students and parents get very angry because it's a very abrupt shift for them. Right. They say, I got A's all first semester, and now I'm... Right. I'm down in the C range. You're not teaching us anymore. Ah. So that was a battle I had last year. Which, So we're starting it right from day one. And it's brand new school, ninth grade. You know, brand new way of teaching, brand new way of learning. That's how it's done. So um, you said, you know, kind of when you started semester, there was kind of this uh, adjustment period, oh, right? Yes. Um, but what, what are some of the successes that you've noticed? What are some of the success stories with students that you've noticed from going to this type of teaching? They, well, the successes I see are in the, the change in their mindsets mm-hmm. where the kids that'll start off being very resentful and, oh, you're not teaching me. Oh, I hate you. Oh, how am I supposed to know the answer? You didn't tell us. How I see the as we go through the the process that they say, oh, now I get it. It's when you know if we set up the the inquiry and the and the initial problem with a little foresight and a, mm-hmm. you know you know putting some uh, some real thought into that, then different kids, different times, but the light bulb will go on. Mm-hmm where they'll start to connect the pieces of evidence or the the bits that we've given them or that they've discovered them uh, on their own. That light bulb goes on and they say, oh, now I know why we did it this way. Oh, I see, I see it now. Mm-hmm. Not that it's not frustrating when we start over with the next unit, right. but it's, uh, I guess the success I see is just the, the turnaround, the, the 180 the kids do when they get it. Yeah. And, and you're really teaching them to be thinkers, right? And questioners? Definitely. I mean, in science and in plenty of other disciplines, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about learning and memorizing a ton of facts and dates and places and mm-hmm. you know, fancy words that make you sound smarter. But it's knowing what to do when you encounter those words that you don't know or encounter those ideas that you can't explain. How do you get that explanation? Yeah, I had a teacher friend that uh, once told me that 
learning isn't quiet. And when, it, and, when, and when you're working, you know, when you're talking about this, I was thinking about that. And I bet there are times when there's tons of conversations happening, right? And you're walking around, checking in. And yes. I, I can picture how that learning isn't a quiet environment. It is not. And, you know, let's get, uh, let's be practical here. Yeah. When I'm walking around <laughs> checking those conversations, they're not always about what they're supposed right. to be. Right. That's the, that's the reality. That's of why it, I'm right? still a teacher is because yeah. we need to keep them on track because they certainly can't all uh, keep themselves yeah. on track. But that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You can't have, you know, 50 minutes or however long your classes are of nothing but being a sponge and taking in this idea and that word and that mm-hmm. uh, that date and whatnot. Yeah. Well, good luck to you as you start this wall to wall, as yeah. you say. Um, it sounds it's gonna be like great. It's gonna it's gonna be great. I think um, I'm excited to check in with you and hear how things are going. I I can predict that by the end of this year, when kids have had this full year of um, this method, that um, we're you're you're helping create thinkers in our world, which I think is a really good thing. That's the idea. We need more thinkers. We do. We do. Well, before we wrap things up, I just have two final questions for you. Um, so, two questions. I'll lay them both out and then give you some time to kind of respond to them separately. So, my questions are, what advice do you have for someone entering their first years of teaching? And what advice do you have for someone entering their last few years of teaching first year teachers get comfortable with not having the answers Mm. with messes right with the unexpected and definitely find that person or those people that you can lean on that can help you clean up the messes that can help lead you through the unpredictability because it's nothing like student teaching, and it's nothing like they taught you in school. Right, and it sounds like you had that with your um, the team your first year. Right? Absolutely, I feel that my my first year was kind of lucky. I had really great kids. Some of them are still some of my favorite students I've ever had. But I did have challenges. I had a few challenging classes that I wasn't sad to see go, but um, they they were very useful. Um, in shaping the teacher I've become. As far as veteran teachers go. Yeah. Yeah. Those like kind of, you know, those that are thinking this is it or just a couple more years. I got to hold on. What's your advice for them? Yes. Hold on. (laughs) Hang in there. We need you. Yeah. Don't leave yet. It's, uh, it still has a chance to get better, honestly. Yeah. But, um, no, just, uh, keep doing what you're doing. Um, I'm not one of those teachers, but, you know, we really, we appreciate you. Mm -hmm. We want to see you stick around as long as possible. Mm -hmm. But, hey, once the time comes, have fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, this has been fun. So thank Mm -hmm. you for sitting down and having a conversation with me and joining me on the podcast. Every time I chat with you, I feel like I learn a little bit more about you. We've yeah. known each other for about, what did we decide? About 13, 13 years. years. Yep. Um, but uh, it's great to have this one-on-one time today. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. And that's it for another episode of My Teacher Friends. You can reach me at myteacherfriendspodcast at gmail.com.
Like the show on Facebook at My Teacher Friends Podcast. Please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe on iTunes. And until next time, remember, celebrate and nurture every child every day.